This is episode number 181 with Dr. Shafali. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? I just wanted to quickly remind you that if you haven't already, make sure you hit subscribe in your favorite podcast app. Mine is Himalaya. For those of you that have not heard of Himalaya, it's an epic brand new podcast app which has so many awesome and unique features no other podcast app has, like episode and channel playlists. It's free, so easy to find new shows, and is really user-friendly. So head on over to the app or Google Play Store to download it today. Don't forget to follow me once you're done so that you can listen to my episodes one day earlier than they're usually released. Pretty cool, huh? Today's podcast is brought to you by the brand new certification program created by my health guru and one of my all-time favorite humans on the planet, Dr. Stephen Cabral, naturopathic, functional medicine, and Ayurvedic doctor. Now, if you follow me on social media, you will know that I am obsessed with Dr. Cabral for many reasons. Firstly, he literally saved Nick's life. And secondly, I love his holistic, whole body, individualized approach to health and healing, which includes the essential Ayurveda, which is why he's the most featured person on my podcast. So if you are a wellness junkie like me, you are not going to want to miss his brand new program, the Integrative Health Practitioner Certification. This is the first-of-a-kind program that fuses ancient Ayurveda wisdom and prioritizes whole-body holistic healing. It very carefully takes into consideration that everyone is extremely different with different body types, so there is no one-size-fits-all approach here. His approach is about understanding that the body seeks equilibrium. So his program is about bringing your body back into balance as quickly as possible. This program is so in-depth and insightful, I've never seen anything quite like it. It will arm you with everything you need to know to take your own health seriously to the next level. And you can even choose to become a certified integrative health coach practitioner so that you can help other people achieve amazing health and earn great money doing it. This program is for anyone who wants to take their health and their family's health and healing to the next level. Trust me, I have seen it firsthand when Nick went from struggling after spending hundreds of thousands of dollars over many years and just not being able to get the answers or support he needed, to now being in the best shape of his life, 
with unstoppable energy and a sense of balance and calm that is truly inspiring. It's also for anyone who is already in the health and wellness field and wants to up-level their knowledge and skills, or for anyone who wants an entirely new career as a certified integrative health practitioner. Every module is taken directly from Dr. Cabral's private practice. So you get the exact handouts and protocols that he used with over 250,000 client consults. It's all online and you can go at your own pace, which is awesome. This program has got me seriously excited. Head to melissaambrosini.com forward slash Cabral. That's C-A-B-R-A-L to check out all the details on this epic program and take control of your health and future today. Dr. Shafali is a world-renowned wisdom teacher who teaches workshops and courses both online and in person around the world. Her online courses have helped hundreds of adults and families all over the world. They cover topics like anger, anxiety, purpose, meaning, relationships, and conscious health. In addition, she regularly teaches group meditation classes both virtually and in person. She's also an acclaimed author and her books will change your world. Her latest book, The Awakened Family, gives us daily skills and tools to revolutionize our families and our parenting. This book holds the potential to liberate both your child and yourself from the clutches of anxiety leading you towards a transformed sense of peace and joy. Her first book, The Conscious Parent, has been endorsed by Oprah as one of the most profound books on parenting she has ever read. How cool is that? And her second book, Out of Control, offers a unique and brilliant perspective on why traditional means of discipline don't work with our children and what we should do instead. She is also a world-renowned clinical psychologist who received her doctorate from Columbian University in New York. She specializes in the integration of Eastern philosophies and Western psychology, making her an expert in her field. Her message has the potential to change people's lives for generations to come. And if that wasn't enough, she is also an international speaker and presents at conferences and workshops all over the world. I love her work. I have wanted to get her on the show for a very long time. And I am so excited for you guys to hear this episode today. Because in today's episode, we chat about her story from growing up in India to moving to America at 21 to where she is today and doing the work that she now does. What is conscious parenting? How to consciously parent? The role of our children? how to consciously step-parent, how not to react to your children's triggers, how to let go of control, that's a biggie, why our children are not our easels, how to heal our inner child, what to do if your partner is not on board or wants to be awakened, the best relationship tips ever, how to heal our relationship with our own parents, how to reparent ourselves, how to find our tribe, plus 
so much more. And for everything that Dr. Shafali and I mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. And that is over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 181. But before we dive into this epic conversation, I want to read the review of the week. And this week, it comes from Nico Australia, and it's a five-star review titled, My Favorite Podcast. And Nico says, this is by far my most favorite podcast. I have learned so much about health, love, and happiness from Melissa's interviews. My life has definitely been enriched tenfold from listening to Melissa and her amazing guests. My sisters in Norway also love this podcast and attribute much of their health and healing to the information explored during Melissa's interviews. I'm so grateful for Melissa sharing her energy, passion, humor, and love with the world. Thank you so much, Melissa, for being you. Thank you so much, Nico, for that beautiful five-star review. I'm incredibly grateful and so glad you're getting so much out of it. And if you want to be the review of the week for next week, make sure you head on over to iTunes and leave me that review right now. And without further ado, let's bring on the incredible Dr. Shafali. Dr. Shafali, I am so excited to have you on the show. You have been on my dream interview list for a very long time. But before we dive in to this epic conversation, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? <laughs> I love that. I always have a, you know, it sounds so healthy, but it's true. I always have a banana spinach apple smoothie with kefir and a lot of ice and water. And then I have a cup of coffee uh, like two hours later. So I do have something not so good for me a little later, but (laughs) I start off with a smoothie. Oh yeah, me too. I love smoothies. They're the best. Now I first discovered you via your first book, The Conscious Parent, which was endorsed by Oprah as one of the most profound books on parenting that she has ever read. And then I went on to read The Awakened Family. And since I first discovered you, I have been such a massive fan of you and your work. But correct me if I'm wrong, I'm presuming you didn't come out of the womb preaching conscious parenting and consciousness. So can you take us back and tell us your story and how you got to where you are today doing the absolutely magnificent work that you now do? Oh, well, so I grew up in India and had an unremarkable childhood in terms of trauma or deep anguish, but I had a a very, I would say, healthy family relationship with my parents and came to America at 21 out of a great thirst to experience something different. I knew my culture was handicapped in some ways in terms of its tradition and its attachment to dogma and hierarchy. So that bothered me about my culture a great deal growing up. I felt very stifled as a woman, very objectified and wanted to really run away from the cultural doctrines that I was observing. And so I came to America at 21, and immediately, actually, I would say serendipitously, threw myself into spirituality. It just fascinated me literally a month after coming here. Now, I cannot say that I had a 
discerning thought process that took me to it. I just went for my first silent 10-day retreat within a few months of arriving here. And it was just a pull. I, I can't explain it any other way. I wasn't in trauma. I hadn't broken up. I wasn't in heartbreak. I just was compelled. It was time. And since then, I've been on a very strong spiritual pursuit. However, because I started young and I was still heavily indoctrinated by what I grew up with, I did make a lot of detours away from that path as well. And I kept returning, I kept leaving, I kept returning, I kept leaving. But it stayed a parallel process. You know, I did the traditional cultural prescriptive things of, you know, get a master's, get a PhD, get married, have a child, you know, try and be successful, try and achieve. I tried to do all that, but always had this very growing, burgeoning passion in consciousness and kept writing on the side. And then one day just decided to leave this traditional world and kind of really go deep dive into consciousness and began you know, in my 30s, really meditating more and more and writing more. And that's when I began publishing my book and, you know, letting go of this very material world and really entering the deeper spiritual, psychological world. And I had to pay a price, you know, I had to let go of a lot of relationships, undergo a lot of transformation, really shed the skin that I had been falsely living under, let go of a lot of masks. And renegotiate a whole new life based on this very budding passion within me to be a spiritual seeker, a teacher, and a wisdom, you know, author. Mm. And thank goodness you have shared your beautiful wisdom in your books. Like I said before, conscious parenting was revolutionary for me. I am a stepmom, so I have a 13-year-old bonus son. And something I get asked a lot about is parenting and conscious parenting and how do I do it? So what is conscious parenting? What does that mean? It's really a paradigm shift. It's a complete revolutionary way to look at traditional parenting. So what is traditional parenting? Because if I say, if I outline that a little bit, then I can tell you how conscious parenting is not that. Traditional parenting is hierarchical. It's dogmatic, it's linear, it's controlling, it's very fear-based, and it's dictated by external markers, you know, how good the child is, how well-behaved the child is, how compliant the child is, how successful the child is, how happy the child is. It's based on all these outer personas of behavior. And conscious parenting is the complete opposite of that. It's non-hierarchical, non-linear, non-dogmatic, non-traditional It's all about mutual reciprocity. It's about seeing the child as an awakener. It's about understanding that the child before you has been invoked by your spiritual journey, really, to awaken you to a higher calling. And you are not the master of the child. You are here to grow along the child. And really, you have to raise yourself first before you raise your child. So ideally you know, we have done a little bit of inner work before we bring children into the world. Yes. Yes. It's about, <laughs> it's, it's, it's about realizing that you needed to do all that work and you didn't. And here you were with all this audacity thinking you would raise a child when you are still a complete, utter tantruming toddler yourself. So for someone listening who's like, oh dear, you know, I should have done some work before I brought my children or child into the world. What can we do now? Like, how can we 
step into more of a conscious parenting role, even if we have a five-year-old, a 10-year-old or a 25-year-old, no matter where we are in our journey, like how can we start to implement some more of these conscious parenting behaviors and shift things as of right now? Yeah. So we now realized that it's about seeing our children completely differently and understanding that it's not about them. And it's perhaps mostly always been about us. So now in this moment, instead of looking outward at them to fix and control and manage them, we turn the spotlight within and ask ourselves, how are we co-creating this moment right now? How are we energetically showing up right now that is contributing to the problem I believe my child is displaying? How can I better meet the needs of my child beneath the behavior? And connect to who it is they authentically are, because I want nothing greater than to be authentically connected to. So how can I show up more fully, more present, more engaged with my child? Because these are the things that I wanted as a child, and they were never done with me. Mm, So they are our biggest mirrors. They're our teachers. Oh, they are completely our teachers. Because you see, with other people, our ego is somewhat in check, you know, somewhat. With another adult, we won't be so rampaging in our incessant anxiety or incessant desire that our expectations be met right now. You know, with other people, we kind of back off. But with our children, we unleash our ego. And so if we use this relationship as an opportunity to see the ego, then it's actually the greatest portal for growth. You know, it's like if you can drive in New York, you can drive anywhere. So if you can see the ego in your parent-child relationship, then you can see the ego everywhere else. And if you free yourself of the ego in the parent-child relationship, then you kind of let go everywhere else because nowhere is the ego more dominant and dogmatic than in the parent-child relationship because we are under this delusion that the child is really ours. You know, we've been fooled to believe that they're really ours. So therefore, they, they are our property, they are our ownership, and we can control them. And this is an illusion. Mm. It is the biggest illusion. They are their own sovereign being. So, you know, something that I really tried to employ is allowing that beautiful being to be on their own journey and almost like act like a guardian as opposed to, you know, the traditional parent role. That's kind of what I have really tried to embody. But step parenting, and I'd love your take on this, it comes with a whole lot of other things that you need to work through. So does this completely apply to the step parents that are listening as well? Absolutely. You know, it could apply to a step parent who decides that they are now a parent, right? Or that they need to step in or they need to be given significance. You know, we can, you know, that ego of ours is so crazy and out of control that it can be invoked anywhere. But if the step parent was really able to take this advice and understand the spirit of consciousness, they would realize what a gift it is that they can be in adoration and connection with this child, this being, and simply enjoy them like a grandparent would without all their ego getting all entangled. You know, they can enjoy this child where a parent really can't enjoy the child because the parent has to go through this whole process of letting go. But the step parent already kind of has let go, you know? And that's such a great position. But yet, there are many step parents who get all entangled because they 
feel that, you know, they deserve some sort of respect or they, sh- they are entitled to some sort of control. Mm, yes. Yeah. So let's strip it back. Like, what are some of the basic things that we can do today? Like people that are listening that want to really take on more of a conscious parenting role, like what are some basic things that we can do besides going and getting your book and reading that? You know, what's some things that they can start to be really mindful of today? Well, really how their own personal ego gets entangled and how they are putting on their children something that really comes from within them. And once they become aware of that, then they will, you know, detach a little bit and enter the role of witnesser rather than reactor. Mm, I love that. Witnesser rather than reactor. Okay. So let's paint a little picture here. So your child does something that really triggers you. And in that moment, you react. What can we do instead of reacting? Because I know, you know, sometimes that split second between making that choice, it's so quick that it's too late and you've already reacted, you know, and you're like, oh my, and you're almost like watching yourself screaming at your child. So how can we, when we feel triggered by our children, how can we move through that as the witnesser? Yeah, you know, you can't do it in the heat of the moment. You have to train yourself outside the heat of the moment. In the heat of the moment, forget it. I lose my temper all the time. So I've just trained myself to now know, you know, don't react because the consequences are worse. If you react, then you'll be feeling guilty, feeling ashamed, feeling regretful, then you'll go the other way. So it's almost now, you know, a reward to not react, you know? So when parents begin to see the rewards of not reacting, but let me tell you, you know, it takes enormous discipline to not react in the moment. And, and therefore, you know, meditation practice, learning consciousness, taking courses, really training yourself in the fundamentals and the principles of not entering that, that tide, you know, the wave, and instead stepping onto the shore, you know, not getting onto the train, stepping onto the platform and watching and taking that pause, you know, just take a 10 second pause and just enter the breath and understand that all reaction is coming out of fear. And if you can work on your fear in the, in the outside moments, then you'll be able to, you know, be more present with your children. So you have to do some work, you know, you have to see a therapist or a coach or take some courses where you begin to deconstruct the cause of your reaction. And the cause of our reaction typically is fear. So we have to ask ourselves, what am I afraid of? What, what am I afraid of detaching control from? Why am I so attached? What, what am I thinking will happen in the future? And when we begin to deconstruct, we begin to realize our fears are pretty baseless and there's nothing to really be so scared of. And now we can enter the present moment and begin to connect more with our children. So we really do have to do the spiritual sit-ups, as I call them. That's the meditation and the inner work outside of our relationship with our children so that in those moments we can witness and not react because it's all just a reflection of us. Yes. But what about the recovering control freaks? Like what about the control? Let's talk about control. Let's talk about this because we don't talk about it enough, but 
you know, and I think with our children, we feel like we have to control them. Everything that they do, every move that they make, how they hold their knife and fork, how they tie their shoes, what they say, what they don't say, what is control all about and how can we let it go? Control is all about the delusion that we own our children and we can mandate their lives. And the basis of it is the fear of the inevitable truth that our children do not belong to us. We're afraid of that truth. We want them to belong to us. That's why we became parents. So once we confront the the greatest truth of this farce, that we don't own anybody and our children are here to enact their own destiny, then of course, yes, we'll guide them. We'll be present. We're there every day telling them to eat the kale and not the cookie. Yeah, but we're not doing it with this anxiety that we get to control them. And if they don't, then we get to punish them. It's coming from a very different place of friend. You know, parents don't want to be their kid's friend. I go, yeah, you should be your kid's friend, which doesn't mean that you're their buddy going to drink with them, but it means that you're their soul's friend. You're an ally. You're a guide. You're a, a deep, deep, deep partner. And to look at yourself as a partner, a co-traveler, you're not some superior, hierarchical know-it-all. You're a friend to their soul, an ally to their essence, the guide to their spirit. When you begin to think in those terms, you, you leave behind the dogma of hierarchy and control and dominance. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's so important. And I've actually got a lot of this from my husband who has always said to me, you know, I'm just his guardian. I'm just here to guide him. I'm just here to tell him to eat the kale, even when he doesn't want to eat the kale. And, you know, to, to remind him to brush his teeth and and to teach him things, you know, like how to tie your shoelaces. So I've kind of always had that from him, which I think is really beautiful. But I know for myself, I really did have to let go of the control. And yeah, I, I stepped into what I thought the role of a step-parent was and what society had kind of, you know, indoctrinated me with. Mm-hmm. And when I really tuned in, and that caused me a lot of suffering and pain, by the way, mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. And when I actually really tuned in and got really clear on what is my role to this beautiful boy, like what is mm-hmm. my role? It's to be like you said, his friend Mm -hmm. and, you know, to teach him what I know, to teach him how to bake brownies and like, you know, just to teach him these beautiful life skills and more than that, of course. But that is my role. And when I remember that life is so much more beautiful. And when I, and when I step into that, no, I'm the parent and he's got to listen to me and I'm the boss and things like that. That's when life is really hard. And the dynamic in our family is really uncomfortable for everyone. And I love that you say like, our children are not our easels. So what, what do you mean by that? Yeah, exactly. That they're not some blank canvas that we get to paint our destiny on and all our unmet desires and dreams on. They are vital, throbbing beings here to enact their own destiny. And the reason we put our destiny onto theirs is because we don't have the guts and gumption and courage to go do it ourselves. So we use our children all the time to live out our fantasies. You know, why do we need our children to be great? Why do we need our children to be successful? If they want to be successful, if they want to be great and famous, then they will. Why do we need them to be? Ah, because we're afraid they will be homeless. 
well, who said they're going to be homeless? And if they're homeless and they are okay with it, what are you going to do about it? You know, it's, it's really about having the wisdom to know your role and to know your place, to stay on your own yoga mat, so to speak, to stay in your own lane. And that includes with children, but it doesn't mean hands-off parenting. It doesn't mean not being there every day. It doesn't mean not trying to guide them and awaken them, but it certainly does mean not to impose our agenda, our expectations. Now, do we expect them to be polite and have a shower every day? Yes, we do. But if they're not, and if they don't, what do we do then? Do we scream? Do we go crazy? Or do we gently remind them and gently hold the torch and the light? Just like if we went through a phase where we didn't shower, do we want someone constantly punishing us or understanding us? So it's really about providing kinship and deep compassion and alignment with our beings that are these children and ourselves versus just constantly haranguing them, you know? Mm, I love that because it's, you know, it's something as well I have, you know, been asked a lot is about the disciplining side of things and, you know, wanting them obviously to eat really well and to brush their teeth and to do those things, but it's the place that it comes from that is the most important. It's that place that it comes from. It's so important. And we just, our, our poor children just cop all of our crap if we don't look at it. If we don't do some inner work, some spiritual sit-ups, some meditation, go within, ideally before we have children, then they are just the target for us to project our vomit, all of our crap all over them. And it's really not fair. Yeah. But, you know, we can't be too hard on ourselves because this is just humanity. (laughs) And all of us have vomited onto our children, including me, a lot. And I may have done it even yesterday. (laughs) <laughs> and it's okay. It's okay. You know, people often think that I'm some genius, super Zen parent. And that's not what I ever say. I talk about being real and using the mess ups to awaken, right? That's what we want to do. We want to use the moments to awaken. It's not about being perfect. It's about healing. And maybe I, I had a terrible childhood and maybe I'm going to take too long to become conscious. That's okay, I tell people. But let's heal, use the moment to heal and keep healing. And there's no end to healing and there's no end to consciousness. And it's not about reaching a pinnacle. It's about really just opening up the lotus petals, you know, petal after petal, just awakening. Mm, So important. How does this apply to doing like our own inner child healing work? Yeah, that's the most important. Mm. You know, in all my books, I talk about doing the inner child work, because what comes out in those tantrums are the fearful needs, unmet needs of the inner child. You know, when we tantrum and rage and control, it's really because the inner child is feeling scared and executes the ego, the defense shield to protect it. So the ego yells and screams and and threatens and punishes. But underneath that ego is really a very scared child who feels unheard, unseen, and unmet. So it's all about meeting the needs of the inner child so you don't use the shield of the ego to create dysfunction. Mm. The ego is all about protecting the inner child, but the way it protects the inner child is that it creates all these shields. So you drink too much, you 
you'd eat too much, you, you'd sabotage things all to kind of, in a bizarre way to protect you, but it's all messing it all up. Mm. Oh my gosh. So how can we start today to heal our inner child? Like what's, for, for anyone listening and they, and they might be thinking, oh my gosh, like this, I, I'm that person. I'm very triggered by my children. I'm very reactive. How can, and, and they might be thinking, okay, maybe there is a little bit of inner child healing I need to do. What's the best place to start? Well, really, it's about committing to self-discovery. You know, there is no technique or one little thing. It's about really saying, you know what, I, I have been in enough dysfunctional relationships. I've been in enough dysfunctional patterns. I am not being my truthful self. I'm constantly procrastinating, avoiding, denying, suppressing my passions, my purpose. I'm constantly in fear and anxiety. I don't want to live like this anymore. You know, you have to reach that state of intolerance with how you're living, with your inner state. Only that will catalyze you to change. And then you'll take your therapist or to a coach and really start looking at yourself and going within. There's no two ways about it. You have to embark on a process and be willing to change. It's just like, oh, I want to be a, a sportscaster or a surgeon. Okay, you can't just say, I'm going to do two things each day. It'll take you 300 years. You have to go to school, right? You have to enter a program. Same with deconstructing your life and, and awakening to truth and joy. You have to go learn how to do that because obviously you don't know, how, the person doesn't know how to do that. So they have to learn the skills. I had to do 20 years of it, you know, deep, rigorous self-work to learn how to enter joy and enter the present moment. Meditate every day, do a ton of self-help, take so many courses. I teach it all the time and I'm still just barely on my way. So people have to really commit to it. It's a marriage. It's a program. It's a PhD. It's, and it's for life. Yes, yes. So what about for someone listening who maybe they're on this journey or they started on this journey and their partner isn't? What can we do then? Because I hear this a lot, you know, one of one person is on this journey or wanting to evolve or wanting to have a more conscious and aware life and the other is not interested one bit. What can we do? Yeah, well, then you will start making choices, uncomfortable choices, difficult choices. You know, you first start the traditional way by changing them. You know, you take them to a therapist, you beg them, you plead with them, you threaten them. Then you realize, oh, holy moly, this is not working. So what, what will work? And, you know, then you have to make choices. If they're not willing to change, what are you going to do? You have to accept them as they are or change them. If that doesn't work, then you can change yourself in some way. Not to get so triggered by them, maybe. Not to get so irritated by them. Not to be so afraid of them, maybe. And then your last choice is, do I need to leave them? Can I release them? Should I release them? You know, it's not. It, there's no technique to get someone to be conscious. They have to want it whenever they're ready, and they may not be ready while you're alive. So, you, do you want to suffer, or do you want to make a different choice for yourself? It's scary, and awakening is, you know, a difficult process. Ignorance is almost bliss, but it isn't. So now you're between a rock and a hard place. What do you do? And you have to be brave to make choices that are more vibrationally aligned with who it is you're becoming. You know, at 20, you were a certain being. And so you were with this person when you were 20, but now you're in your forties, maybe you're a different being. 
it's okay to give yourself the permission to move on. Mm, so true. So true. Otherwise, what's the alternative? Is, is you suffering? Is you lying for the sake mm. of longevity and complacency and comfort? Mm, I think as well, we, in relationships, we value quantity so the, the length of time as opposed to quality because yeah. you know there's quality there's people yeah. that have been married for like 70 years but they're miserable as heck and you're like well oh is that a, is that a quote-unquote successful marriage mm, not in my books exactly you know it, it's like the quality of that relationship is the most important thing but I'd love to hear what are your biggest tips or advice on having a beautiful, conscious, evolved relationship with your beloved? Like what are some of your practical tips that you found really, really work? Well, I think you, you have to be real with yourself and understand your patterns and see why you attracted this person in your life and are you able to continue to grow together. And if you are able to grow together, then that's the match for you in this moment of time. And you both support each other to really be truthful and transparent as much as possible, create the safety so people feel free to be authentic and free to be themselves. And if it's not a match, then also do it beautifully and release each other with compassion and freedom to not be a match. You know, it doesn't matter what the other person is, it's how you are with them. And if you're able to be free and authentic, you, you, you stay with them. But, but ways to foster that is really to be whole. The more whole you are within, the more whole you'll be without and the more whole you'll allow them to be. And you'll be okay with their imperfections because you're accepting yourself. So the more you accept yourself without transaction, without conditionality, that's how you'll more accept the other. Mm, yeah. I'm so grateful that I have a partner who is willing to do his own work. I'm very, very grateful. And I've been in relationships in the past where that hasn't been the case and it was challenging. And so I'm, I'm really grateful that, you know, my beautiful husband is willing to do the work on himself because in any relationship, there's three entities. There's, there's Melissa, there's me, and I've got to do the work on me. There's Nick and he's got to do the work on him. And then there's our partnership. Yes, And in order for all of them to grow and evolve, they all need love and attention and work. And that's the most important thing. I think a lot of people, we point the finger and we judge and we blame the other person for our unhappiness when every time we point that finger, there's three pointing right back at us exactly. to take responsibility and ownership for how we're showing up in the world. Absolutely. And when we don't take ownership, that's when things really deteriorate. You know, when people don't want to be awakened to their patterns, to their unhealed parts, to their split off parts, then how can you have a relationship when one is evolving and the other isn't, right? Mm, yeah, it, that's, it's challenging. It's really, really challenging friction. But ideally, you know, we would look at all of this before we even thought about having children. Is that what you believe? Ideally, <laughs> yes, but nobody does that, okay? So we shouldn't put ourselves uh, to shame when we realize that we should have done a lot of things. You know, a lot of people are doing it now, More, the more conscious 
generation are doing it now, but most of us kind of just plummeted into relationships and parenthood without giving it much thought. We just checked it off a list and didn't realize what we were doing. <laughs> and it's okay. As long as we one day wake up and say, okay, let me now use this relationship to become the most conscious person I can be and use it to understand myself and the other with compassion and insight, you know, but when we do do the work, our children do benefit directly from it, immediately, palpably, and directly. Mm, absolutely. And I've also found being really vulnerable and honest with them is really important. I remember when I first stepped into the role as a, as a step-parent for Leo and just feeling like I was absolutely floundering, like I was really struggling. Right. And right. I remember I remember having a really honest conversation with him that made me feel sick to my stomach. Mm. And I sat him down and I said to him, I apologize for speaking to you the way that I just spoke to you or whatever I said. This has nothing to do with you and everything to do with me. And I am so sorry for reacting like that. And I was just in tears because being so honest and vulnerable with him was something that I didn't witness growing up as a child. Like my parents right. were never like that with me. And when I became a stepmom all those years ago, it really did bring up all this stuff with my mom right, that right. needed healing. And so I'm curious, like my parents they may not ever get on this journey in this lifetime and that's okay. Mm -hmm. But how can I heal my relationship or anything with them without ever having conversations with them about it? Do you know what I mean? With your parents, you mean? Yeah, with my parents. Because it's not just, do you feel like we need to heal the stuff with our parents as well before we have children? Yeah, but you don't have to talk with them. But I don't believe you need to actually talk with them and resolve things with them. You need to resolve it in your own mind. Yeah, exactly. And understand your relationship from your point of view. And it, you know, I don't subscribe to the fact that you have to confront and have your parents say, sorry, and you have to blame them and you have to, you know, get everything out in the open. I mean, if that happens and it happens organically, sure, but it's not a mandatory step to healing. The real healing takes place in our own consciousness. When we understand what the relationship was about. We understand how our inner child wasn't met. When we understand the unmet needs of our parents' inner child, and we release and let go. And then we grieve the loss of that self. And then we seek to reparent ourselves as adults, seek to enter a loving, worthy relationship with, us, with our adult self. One thing that really helped me along my journey was many years ago getting a picture of my mum and dad both as children mm -hmm. and using that picture in my meditation. So reminding myself that they are acting from their wounded inner child as well. And it really actually fully allowed me to soften toward them. And yeah. it it created so much space for healing and love and acceptance. And yeah. now when they call me on my phone, I have that image of them, the little, I took a photo of it. So when my mom calls me, it's her little girl that comes up 
And mm. when my dad calls me, it's the cutest photo of my little of my dad when he was about four that pops up on my phone. And it is, it literally melts my heart. It completely melts my heart. And all of that, because I've been there, I've had so much anger and frustration and suffering I was experiencing toward that relationship. And it was all my own stuff. It had nothing to do with them. It was all my own stuff. But when I started really doing this inner child healing work many years ago, it really helped my relationship with my mom and dad. And it's really beautiful to witness. Well, what a powerful thing you did is what you did was you you were seeing their wounded parts. And instead of getting wounded by their wounded parts, you were able to hold their wounded parts kind of separate from you in a very special light and remember that they came from so much pain and they are only operating out of the consciousness that they have and they can't do anything more than that. Mm, exactly. And that's what I'm constantly reminding myself of as well. And it, it's, yeah. it's really, really powerful. And something you mentioned before is about this reparenting, which is something that I've been doing a lot of as well as this reparenting myself. Mm -hmm. So how do we do that? Well, we reparent ourselves by seeing the inner child come up in the present moment and understanding that it's come up because it needs to be healed. So at that moment, it's needing you to give it what the original parents could never give it, which is a, a listening ear, an open heart, validation, normalization, and a deep compassion. And when that inner child feels heard and met by your adult self, then it'll less likely cause you to act out in some way. So it's really about looking inward and feeling connected to the needs from within. And then when we do this work, our relationship with our kids is, is going to transform. And I know when I started doing this work, I began to have more fun with Leo. Way yes. more fun. I wasn't so serious all the time. And I was such a, a serious parent. Like it was crazy. Like I would, it's almost like I would never be silly and laugh and joke. And so it's really transformed our relationship. And I continue to do this inner child work and I, I probably will forever. I don't know. But it's really transformed my relationship with myself and, and definitely Leo and my relationship with my parents. It's really powerful work that every single person needs to embark on. Very, very. I mean, there is no other way to do this. Otherwise, I mean, the other way is to do it dysfunctionally and have disconnection with your kids and eventually you will lose them you know, when they grow up. So it's really making a choice about how you want to show up for them and what you want to give them, you know, for their inner being, for their inner essence. How do you want to show up for them? Mm, and I'm sure lots of people listening have never even really asked themselves that question. Like, how do, yeah. how do I want to show up for my kids? Like, what do I want to inspire with them? And this is something else that I did. Like, I visualized in a meditation, Leo, when he was 60 years old. And I was thinking about him talking to his children or his grandchildren and saying, Melissa taught me, and what would that next sentence be? 
And, yeah. I, you know, maybe it's Melissa taught me about gratitude and, you know, there's always things to be grateful for or whatever it is. And mm-hmm. I actually wrote down a whole list of things that I would would wish that he would say. And I'm constantly reminded of that. And it's a really beautiful list to just reread over every now and then to help you kind of remember your role here. And it's so much more, life is so much more joyful. Parenting is so much more joyful when when we do that, when we have that level of awareness and consciousness. Absolutely. And, you know, it's really about the present moment at the end of the day and how deeply connected you can be in this present moment. And it's not about the children at all. It's really just about you, your quality of energy, how you're showing up in abundance, and how you're able to truly, you know, see the person before you. Mm, It's so beautiful. Your books and your work and your workshops are incredibly life-changing and successful and powerful. What do you think has been the key to that? What do you attribute, you know, the key to all of that? Well, really, I try to give a lot of content and create a community. So I give the insights and give my heart and I show up fully. They're usually very intensive mastermind level courses. And then I also create a community and I interact on Facebook, for example, in that community very actively so that the people do deconstruct, deprogram in real time with each other and feel very supported. And that's the key. You know, without that, we cannot really grow. We do need a community. So I built community and really push for transparency and a removal of the masks. And people feel safe to do that with me in this community. And I think that's why they grow. And that's why people keep coming back for my courses. I have a very solid base of loyal people who keep taking my courses because they know that they're priced very reasonably. I always try to go very reasonable and make it accessible for everyone. And also they're online so people can see them at their own discretion, at their own pace. But they're also vibrantly alive in the moment through Facebook. And, and you know, I think it's all these ingredients that create a successful course. Mm, I love what you mentioned about tribe. I feel like we're incredibly divorced from tribe and community these days. So how can we build more tribe within our own life? Well, I think it's about aligning with people who are more like you and moving away from those who are not. and also then maintaining and fostering gatherings, you know, to create the gathering space, to create the space where people are able to connect to each other, you know, opportunities for that, you know, people are thirsty for this and all they're waiting for is an opportunity. Mm, And we have to create them. We can't sit back and wait for other people to do it. That's something that my friends always say to me, you're the one that always organizes all these things, you know, and they'll say, we love that about you. You're the one that always, and I'm like, well, no one else is going to do it. (laughs) So I may as well. And I really enjoy it. I love bringing people together, whether it's for a picnic in the sunshine by the beach. I love bringing people together. And it's a quality of mine that 
yeah, I just absolutely love and something that I'm really good at. And it's because I want it. You know, I want tribe. I want community. And yeah, you're very good at it as well. And if you, everyone listening, if you are in America, you must get to one of your live events or workshops and any, and maybe we can convince you to come to Australia and do some of your workshops and live events here. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Australia has been on my list, but, but, but many of my courses are online and actually I have a new one coming up in two weeks. If people are interested in conscious relationships, maybe you can share the link with them later. Yes, absolutely. We'll link to all of your amazing books and your online workshops and everything in the show notes. So don't worry, everyone, that'll all be there. But I'd love to hear now if you had a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world, besides your amazing books, which must be in the school curriculum, right. what is one book that you would choose? Well, I think, you know, Eckhart Tolle's book, the, A New Earth, would be that book, which kind of just gets people out of their patterns and their malaise and sets them on their way. Mm, it's a really good book. Yeah. I loved that book so much. It's a bit life-changing, isn't it? Hugely. It was one of the first books I actually read on my journey, mm. and it was life-changing for me. Mm -hmm. You mentioned before that you know, you're know you always working and evolving and, and growing within yourself. What's something that you're working on or would like to work on and improve within yourself at the moment? Yeah. Well, I think I've been really detoxing from my role as an enabler and an empath and learning how to create healthy, consistent, clear, preemptive boundaries. So I don't end up feeling like I'm done upon and pushed upon and pushed over. You know, my daughter the other day said, you know, you're like a really comfortable plush rug. You know, she said, people love to walk all over you. And I, she, she said it so eloquently that that's been my issue. You know, I've not had good boundaries. So that's where I'm working on and, and evolving. And I, I don't look at my life with regret where I've had bad boundaries or, you know, loose boundaries or inconsistent boundaries. I don't look at it as, as something shameful. I'm so excited I have an issue and I'm so eager to evolve in it. And it pushes me to be more awake and discerning and aware and, you know, understand why I'm giving someone when I'm giving and examine my motives. So I like it. I love that I have this issue and it's come to the real forefront these past few years. And I've been really trying to change the pattern and it's hard to change patterns, but you don't put a timeline on it. You know, you don't put a expiration date. You just do it ongoingly and slowly. And before you know it, your patterns begin to change. Mm, just got to keep showing up, mm -hmm. keep doing the work. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's so beautiful. Now, I would love to hear about how your day looks and in particular your morning routine. I absolutely love hearing about how people prime themselves for their best day. Can you share your morning routine with us? Sure. Well, it is very much predictable. It's about, you know, really making sure that I have first taken care of my child and then I take care of my body and my state of mind. 
So I exercise almost every day and set aside till like 11 o'clock in the morning just on me. Either it's a walk, it's a connection with a friend, it's meditation, or it's real physical exercise. I leave that time. I don't put any meetings till I have taken care of my state of physical and mental awareness and connection. Mm. So once I do that, then I set off to work and typically, you know, see clients, talk about spirituality, all of which I love. You know, I'm lucky that my work is my passion. So the separation between work and play is very limited. You know, center it on my core intimate relationships. Try to center the day around my work and my relationships, really. What makes me happy? What makes me joyful? And eliminate things that I do out of stress or anxiety or obligation. I've become very good about that now. You know, I won't do things out of stress or habit or pattern or fear. You know, I'll always check with myself. Why am I making this decision? Where is this coming from? Is this really authentic or is this a habit? And in this way, I just begin to deconstruct and break away from old patterns and really create a new life every day, you know? Mm, so beautiful. I love it. What are three things you're most recently grateful for? Oh, well, I'm, I'm grateful that I have less fear in my life. I'm grateful that I have more love in my life. And I'm very grateful to be on this path of service. I think that's the most fulfilling thing of my life is to be on this path of service. Mm, so important. I've got three rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready? Yes. <laughs> okay. In your opinion, what is one thing that we can do today for our health? Meditate. Yeah. And in particular, do you have, like, are you a TMR? What type of meditation do you do? I do Vipassana, which is insight meditation. Yes. Yep. And that was what you mentioned at the very start about the 10-day silent retreat. How was that? Was that life-changing? Yes, yes. They're amazing because you really you know, disconnect from the mainstream and you disconnect from all the noise in your life and you go into a retreat space where you really enter solitude and quietude. So it's beautiful. It's a beautiful place to go in within, you know. That's a beautiful place to visit, but very few of us visit that place. Mm. I hear a lot about stress. You know, I'm sure you do as well, uh, about stress and social media and technology. How do you move through the stress? I mean, you live in New York City. Like, how do you make sure that your nervous system isn't stressed and, and technology doesn't overwhelm you? Like, do you have any advice around that? Well, I don't live in the city. I could never live in the city because I would be stressed out. I live 30 minutes outside and I have, you know, greenery around me and property around me and, and being in nature and being by the water is so important. And I don't watch TV. So I've eliminated that from my life. Do I go on Facebook? Yes. But I don't post anything. I don't have an active personal page. So I've eliminated that. I don't know how to use Instagram. So I've eliminated that. <laughs> so ignorance and being really dumb about this stuff helps you not engage. I don't ha I don't go on Twitter. You know, I, you have to do this stuff, but otherwise you're going to be pulled in. So you have to like make, create boundaries. I literally do not put on the TV. So that's never a temptation for me. I don't even know how to put 
on the new system that I have in my house that my husband put on a new system. I literally have not even learned it because I've come to see it as all a distraction and an invasion of my sacred space. I don't want to know what's happening in the world, really. I really don't. And if it's important and monumental, I'll figure it out. I'll find out who's the next president. I just don't need to know about unconsciousness anymore. I don't want to vibrate. I don't want to participate now. Does this mean I don't take action when things are egregious? Of course, I understand about you know standing up for people's rights and helping people who are marginalized, but I do that anyway. So I don't need to know about the news to do that. I know that it needs to be done and I do that advocacy anyway. So it's a false claim that people make that you need to know about every single thing that's happening. No, because you vibrationally begin to align there and it just takes you into a morass. Either take some action or, you know, step away from it. Because simply knowing about it passively doesn't do anything really. You know, and people just keep feeding off this stuff like it's passive entertainment and it's not. You know, how do we show up in our lives as advocates? And take our service mission seriously. You know, that's what's what I'm interested in, really. Yeah, I'm the same as you. I don't watch TV. I don't listen to the radio. I don't read the newspapers. I'm just, yeah, if I need to know about it, mm-hmm. I will know because everyone tells you. Mm-hmm. But I'm the same. You know, we recently moved into a new home and... We've got like a whole, I think it's like the new Apple TV. I don't know, but I don't know how to use it. So like I, if I want to watch a movie, I have to like ask my husband. I'm like, can you set this thing up for me? Or I'll ask Leo. I'm like, make this thing work because there's so many remotes. I have no idea. But, you know, I made a very conscious decision many years ago to really unplug from that energy because it was zapping me and it didn't feel good. It really didn't feel good. So I'm very, very intentional about what I let into my space. Like for example, on Instagram, you know, all of the people that I follow, it's very inspirational. It's, you know, high vibrational and beautiful. I'm just not interested in engaging in any of that low vibrational toxicity. It's just, I don't have time. Exactly, exactly. And then you free space up to really, you know, instill the passions that matter to you. Exactly. So this was meant to be rapid fire, but that was definitely not rapid fire. We went, we went totally on a tangent there, but okay. What is your opinion? Sorry, what is one of the most important things that we can do for more wealth in our life, so more abundance in all areas of our life. Is release your attachments to how things should be and accept what they are and you'll have more abundance. Oh, yeah. Amen. I'm nodding. (laughs) I'm like, yes, yes, yes. What is one of the most important things that we can do today for more love in our life? Well, moving away from non-love, you know, moving away from things that don't give us alignment and ease and joy and softness and beauty and moving toward that which does. So, so beautiful, so simple, so simple. But sometimes us humans, we make life so challenging for (laughs) ourselves, don't we? Right. Because we get attached. Mm. to what people will say, to how things were, to who we were yesterday, 
you know, and we're afraid of the unknown of the today. Mm. Imagine if we didn't care what other people thought of us, like really, truly, truly didn't care. Yeah, it's a great freedom. It is. Mm. So beautiful. Is there anything else that you want to share? Anything that I didn't ask you about that you feel called to share or any last parting words of wisdom? Well, I think just to look at this life as a journey and not be so stressed out with its uh, lack of perfection or lack of achievement. You know, it's exactly the way it's meant to be and embrace it and, you know, be curious about the next step. Mm. That's the, the best way to live, really. Yeah. And like you, I am also a massive believer in service. So I'd love to know how I personally and the listeners today can serve you. What can we do to serve you? Because you serve all of us so beautifully and with so much, with your books and your workshops and everything that you do. You are serving so much. So how can we give back to you and how can we serve you today? You know, the best thing you can do for me is really to pass on this message of consciousness and parenting uh, and mindfully and, uh, you know, pass my books to people. That's the best way, you know, I would feel supported is that people are taking the message out into the world, giving the book at baby showers, talking about a new model of parenting and, you know, releasing their own fears that are inculcated by the traditional parent paradigm, raising their own children with freedom would be such a testament to the power of this work. It's so true. And I love that idea of giving your books at baby showers. Absolutely. Yeah. Like in blessing mm -hmm. ways, why not? And even if you don't have children or you don't want to have children, your books are life-changing because it's all just about the inner work. And anyone needs, everybody needs to read your books and just absorb all of the beautiful information. You are such a light. You know, I'll also link to your amazing talk that you did on Super Soul Sessions with Oprah. That was so inspiring. And I just want to thank you so much for not only giving us your time today, but for all the amazing work that you're doing. I hope you write more books. I cannot wait to read your latest one, Out of Control. I haven't read that one yet, so I'm really excited to get my hands on that. But thank you so much for all of the work you do. Oh, thank you for listening and thank you for having me. Wow, I loved today's episode so much and I got so much out of it. And if you did too, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review in iTunes or on your podcast app because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And don't forget to come and join the MA Tribe Facebook group where we can share insights from this episode. Plus, you can also tell me who else you would like me to have on the show. Now, this is a private and sacred space where we can come together to discuss all things Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide, along with anything else that you feel called to contribute to the open and honest conversations. You will also get some extra love and support personally from me that I won't be offering anywhere else. And one thing that I get asked a lot is, where can I find my tribe or where can I find like-minded people? This is the place. This is it. 
So head to melissaambrosini.com forward slash tribe right now to join. And for everything that Dr. Shafali and I mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. And that is over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 181. And you can also listen to all my other episodes there too. And before I go, I just wanted to mention that if you haven't got my latest book, Open Wide, A Radically Real Guide to Deep Love, Rocking Relationships and Soulful Sex, all you have to do is head to melissarambrosini.com forward slash open wide to get your copy now. And whilst you're there, you can get access to my free open wide video masterclass that Nick and I created just for you. And if you want to be the review of the week for next week, make sure you head on over to iTunes and leave me that review right now. I would be so grateful. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here. I am so grateful. I love doing this show for you. I get so much out of it and I hope you get so much out of it. And I just want to thank you for wanting to be the best version of yourself and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please be an angel and share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you have got to do to get this in their ears because every single human being on this planet will benefit from this episode. And until next time, my darling, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.